Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. In the sacred text, so I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knoweth thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hand of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? Yes, Amen. For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro the earth. Amen. Yes, yes. The ministry of small things. Before us is the uh, words uh, recorded in the prophecy of Zechariah. Zechariah uh, with his contemporary Haggai uh, were prophets whose ministries were active at the point of return of the exiles, those who had been taken captive to Babylon. And now under the Assyrian king Cyrus, had been granted a mission to return to the homeland. As they returned, one of the primary focus of their activity was the rebuilding of the temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonian army. Primary and pivotal in this period of Israel's history is not only these two prophets, Zechariah, and Haggai, but also one who was the civic leader or king of Israel at this time, Zerubbabel, who was overseeing this return to Israel and the construction of a new temple, as well as one who is uh, Joshua, the high priest. And so this is the setting chronologically for the words in our text. And the prophet's message, if you read Zechariah, God spoke to him primarily through visions. And the purpose of God speaking to him 
was to give him a word of encouragement to the people. Yes, sir. This is a different time in the life of the covenant children of Israel. When the first temple was constructed, there were immense abundant resources. King David had uh, entrusted Solomon, his son, to build the temple. God would allow David to do it because his hands were bloody, uh, because of all the fighting, all the battles. And, uh, and he messed up a few times as well. But Solomon, when he determined to construct the house of the Lord, he had abundant resources. But unlike that period of time when the, the country was experiencing an unprecedented level of affluence, it is in this season that those who are returning uh, from captivity, many of them born in Babylon uh, during this time, they did not have these uh, kinds of resources. They did not have the materials that were available when the first temple was constructed. So it was necessary. It was necessary for, for God to speak to the people through the prophet to offer them encouragement because you know how some of us become preoccupied with the past. <laughs> you know, we can't enjoy or experience the possibilities of the present because we are somehow hamstrung by the past. In the midst of the scarcity, in the, in the midst of circumstances that would have created a measure of doubt and skepticism in the people about not only the wisdom of this project, but the success of the project. God speaks to the prophet and the prophet speaks to the people to encourage them. And one significant line of encouragement is this whole idea of underestimating what God can do with small things. In fact, what we learn in seminary, he created everything that is. And the Latin theologians said he did it ex nihilo. Means that he created it out of nothing. So if he can create everything that is out of nothing, whatever you got tonight, you know God can work with that. And so as this text tickled, teased, taunted, and tantalized me, I, I had to ask the text the question, what is the ministry? That's what this conference is about. What is the ministry of small things? Would you all like to know? First of all, the ministry of small things, it acknowledges a perspective. There were those, as we continue to to try to give you an idea of this period in Israel's life. There were those who returned to the homeland, to the promised land from captivity, who remembered, uh, some of them remembered to a point where when they saw the beginning development of the second temple, they wept because they were there and saw the glitz and the, the glamour and the glory of the first temple that uh, Solomon uh, built. And their critique, their critique of this current project was not very positive. It was not affirming. And so the prophet speaks to this situation. 
And in doing so, I think he speaks to our own contemporary situation because of our cultures and society's pursuit, penchant, and preoccupation with size, success, and sensationalism. It was a stumbling block uh, to the Jews. If we go back to the Exodus period when they got ready to come into the promised land, this preoccupation with size was a stumbling block to them because Moses sent out spies. Joshua was one of those spies to look at the land and, and he and Caleb came back with a good report, but the others came back with this report that totally messed the people up. We saw giants in the land and compared to them, we need to turn around and go back to Egypt. Compared to them, we are just like grasshoppers. This midget mentality, this midget mentality, now I'm not, I'm not denigrating the whole idea of small, but small have to be laid alongside the God we serve. And small becomes large when we turn it over to the Lord. <laughs> and so there's no reason, no matter what you have tonight, what you're dealing with tonight, for you to have a midget mentality. This mentality has crept into the church. I had a seminary professor. Uh, he, he said, uh, and he wrote it in a book uh, at Trinity uh, in Chicago, he said, we got the rescue ministry from the success syndrome. <laughs> and one of my mentors, Dr. Manuel Scott Sr. said, uh, we are so often afflicted in the life of the church with the tyranny of the quantifiable. <laughs> we get caught up. <laughs> but I'm not looking at packed pews tonight. I'm looking for packed people. This ministry of small things is breached in this text because there was some who had an inappropriate calculation and assessment of size. But then there's something else. It advances a pattern. It doesn't just acknowledge a perspective, but the ministry of small things in this text, it also advances a pattern. There's a pattern that is both explicit and implicit in this text. And the pattern is this. Small things can be singularly significant. You know, you know how significant how small this is to God? He says that a sparrow does not fall to the ground without the Father knowing about it. He said the very hairs of your head. That, that's how concerned God is about small. He said the very hairs of your head. Their number. But when we look at this pattern, we see it in nature. A small acre gives birth to a gigantic oak tree. Heavens declare the glory of God. Trembling to show of his envelope. A small spark in a forest in dry season, just a spark, can create a towering inferno that engulfs. Forests and homes, we've seen that happen. A small tropical depression in the Caribbean can become a raging hurricane 
when it reached landfall. And so, even in nature, we see this principle. That's right. In life, we see this principle. I was thinking about sharing with you, and I remember my first trip to South Africa, and our group visited Robben Island, where Nelson Mandela was in prison for us 27 years. And we walked by the cell where Mandela was housed there in that prison on Robin Island. It's not as big as some of our closets. Four by seven. And he slept on a concrete floor with just a quill. But from that four by seven cell, a small thing, he was somehow able to get out of prison the contents of his book a Long Walk to Freedom, a book that transformed the whole situation of apartheid in South Africa. We see it in life. And we definitely see this pattern in the Word of God. You know, in this passage, I read it earlier, but let me slip it back in here now. The Word of the Lord came to Zechariah, and he said, this is verse 6, and God said to him, listen, the critics are going to come. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing here. They don't show up. You know, folk just show up. Some of us are needy in negativity. But when they show up, just remember, it's not by might. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, I wish I had somebody up in here. It's not by power, but it's by the spirit of the Lord. Let me break it down for you. What God was doing in Israel at this time, what he's doing in us right now, it's not by military might or personal prowess. It's not by bronze or brains. It's not by flesh or fame. It's, it's not, do I have a witness here? It's not by gadgets or gimmicks. I'm trying to get off this point, y'all, but... Spirit won't let. It's not by cash or coin. It's not by budgets or buildings. It's not, I better slip this one in real quick. It's not by party or politics, but it's by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit. Spirit of the living God. And Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It is this pattern. It's the timeless testimony of the word of God. A disgraced fugitive with only a shepherd's rod led a nation of slaves to freedom. A prostitute hung a scarlet cord in her window. The window of her house she was not even a member of the children of Israel. Amen. And she became an ancestress yes, of Jesus Christ. Amen. God reduced an army that was 22,000 strong yes, down to 300 and gave them a decisive victory because he wanted them to know the battle belongs to the Lord. <laughs> Samson took a jawbone and and killed 1,000 Philistines. A shepherd boy named David took five smooth stones out of a creek bed. And with one of those stones, he 
slayed the giant Goliath that was terrorizing the armies of the living God. God took a little pot of oil and rescued a woman and her sons from suffocating death and restored her dignity. Don't tell me what God can't do with something small. Jesus took a little boy's lunch pail. He took that lunch pail and fed 5,000 men. Not counting women and children, Jesus told his disciples, if you have faith, if you have faith, the size of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, mountain be moved. So we see this pattern in nature. We see it in life. We see it in the word of God. But before I leave this point and get to my last one, we ought to see it in our lives. That's right. That's right. Amen. You know, as I look at you tonight, there ought to be at least one experience in your life, which is what I call a by this I know experience. I'm blessed to have more than one. God's been good to me. But there ought to be in your Christian life at least one experience that you can't intellectualize, that you can't rationalize, you can't figure out, you can't take out your calculator and try to understand how it happened. But you know when you look at it, when you think about it, when it comes up in your spirit, you know that if it had not been, if it had not been for the Lord on your side, if it had not been for the Lord on your side, where would you? Where would you be? Oh, sometimes I think when the Lord blesses us a little bit, we forget those times when we had more month than money. Do we have a witness? We forget those times when we really had to depend on he may not come when you want him, but he's always on So there, there is this ministry of small things. I hope you see it. It acknowledges a perspective. Folks sometimes get preoccupied with size. But it also, in this text, advances a pattern. We see this pattern, but it also, in this text, it anticipates a provision. Zechariah's prophecy, and it's interesting, it's moving, compelling to me. God put this text in my spirit a few days ago. Even before war broke out in the Middle East, we're seeing something now that should be the object of all our prayers. Israel, right, my Lord. Right. Hamas, Palestinians, right. and we're praying for a resolution of this crisis, and we're praying for the innocents, innocents who've already been caught in the crossfire. But if you read Zechariah in its entirety, it's not ultimately about the building of the second temple. This particular chapter of Zechariah, he's awakening with a vision and uh, 
It's a seven-stem golden candlestick. Much like the one that was in the first temple, but different because its pure source was unending. And while on one level, this is about that particular moment where the people needed to be in carriage around the building and construction of the second temple. On another level, it's pointing towards something far beyond that period. Because Zechariah's prophecy is not just for that moment, but it's provisional. It's preliminary. It's perspective. It's what our seminary professors would say. It's prolactic. Because ultimately, the peace of Jerusalem would not be secured by the reconstruction of the temple. But God, who in this text is Characterized as one who has seven eyes, his spirit. God sees further than we see. And God knew that even this temple in 70 AD, some five centuries later, would be ultimately destroyed by the Roman armies. And so the anointing that is mentioned in this text. Is not primarily limited to the ministries of Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. Because the Spirit of God looked down the aisles of time and saw that someone else, not a building, but a body. Somebody else was coming. In fact, he said of himself, if you destroy this thing, about the incarnation. My professor, one of my professors at seminary said what God did in the incarnation is he took the thread of his underpresence and weaved it through the needle of a perfect humanity. He took the thread of his underpresence and weaved it through the needle of a perfect humanity. That's what happened when Jesus came down through 42 generations. You want to know what small is? Small was God coming down. And John the Baptist, when he saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then you know he was born in a stable in Bethlehem. And you know, he got tired too because he went across the sea with his disciples and while the ship was going across the Sea of Galilee, he slept. Just like any of us would. But when the storm started raging and the wind started blowing, he got up in the midst of a storm and said, peace be still. He talked about small. He had everything in glory. But down here he said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have lips but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head I believe Paul gave us 
increasing definition of what his smallness was. In Philippians chapter 2, he said, although he was in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the fashion of men, and being found in the fashion of men, he humbled himself and became even obedient. And good God Almighty, the God who had all power in his hands, the God who was there, who he stepped out in the midst of nothing and made everything, the God who took the oceans and flung them across the planet, that God, he took on a cross. One dark Friday, went up to a hill called Calvary. I'm talking about what small is. But let me tell you what Small did. Small got up early that first Sunday morning. Didn't he do it? And before he went back to glory, he said, all power, all power, all power is in my hands. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.